You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 490, hooray for a hard day's night, power naps and secret snoozes, and can protest songs change the world? That's all coming up after the tubes and prime time. Rungan had an unerring knack of fashioning radio-friendly hit singles for the most unlikely of artists and bands, and this has all the hallmarks of a late 70s, early 80s Todd Rundgren production, uh, kind of irreverent, punchy, infectious, and his trademark blistering guitar all over it. The album Remote Control was a hit in the UK and America, and from it, the only single, number 34 in the UK in 1979, The Tubes and Primetime. 
I'm uh, ironically that it's called prime time and it only hit number 34. I felt that deserved more success, really. I'm sorry to hear that it that it was only a sort of a minor hit because I think it's great. I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, it's, it's lovely. The, the album that it comes from, a Remote Control, is a little bit strange. It's a concept album. I'm not sure it totally mm. works, but that is just mm. a, an absolute... It should That's have, a should peach. Have top three, yeah. shouldn't it? Yeah. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. It's <laughs> Parish Council episode 490. I'm Terence Stackham. And, well, with Glastonbury cancelled, she's your brightest hope for entertainment in 2021. It's Juliet Harris. Thank you. Although, doesn't that sum up 2021? Jeez. Anyway, yeah, sorry to hear the cancellation of Glastonbury. Although it did prove my prediction a few days beforehand. A friend of mine texted me and a third a third person. The three of us are meant to be going to see um, L, uh, L7, I think, this summer. And they said, what are the chances of us getting to see L7 in June? And I said, I think this whole thing's going to come down to insurance. And that seems to be yes, what is happening now. So. Glastonbury yeah. haven't specifically cited insurance but uh, I thought it interesting actually that they said that previously they said that if they had to miss a second year they'd be bust what they're actually saying now that's not necessarily the case it's just that it was the uncertainty that was causing them difficulties yeah. so they've taken the decision just to pull this year again and and you know I, I think it's probably sensible I think it's wise um but yeah it's uh, so in in the lack of Glastonbury I guess that we'll just keep this podcast rolling on and uh, and yeah and it will almost be the same but not quite Cough. Just, just oh, I've got a very quick question mm. for you that I'm sure many Go other on. people will be thinking as well. Are you, are you wearing Bernie Sanders mittens? Oh, uh, do you know? I, I, I think doesn't it show that 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 there are some people who have business that are just not business people. <laughs> when they asked the person that made them if they were available, and they said, "Oh no, it was a one-off. They're not one available." It's like, for goodness' sake, you know, this is the. She the, could the, have been a millionaire overnight. Which, absolutely, think? although that does kind of make me think. Well, she must be, you know, sort of a genuine craft yeah. person then. But it does make me think. Wow, you know, the solid gold marketing opportunities don't they don't come along they don't come along very often do they I, I i very much enjoyed using the tool it's called something like put bernie sanders anywhere someone has built something where if you put in a postcode or a property address it will then show you a <laughs> really? shot from oh, google maps uh, but i you know but bernie's been to see me at my outside my building that i live in he also <laughs> saw us at work outside the town hall you know we he, you can put bernie there's also been some excellent bio tapestry mock-ups which obviously has <laughs> local <laughs> geographical relevance for me with him sitting outside i uh, my favorite i think was someone someone put he was an absolute icon on twitter and showed a picture of him sort of sat with his arms folded in that in that chair yeah. next to a picture of pingu sat on a chair frowning <laughs> with his arms folded that there was a resemblance it has to be said so uh, so yeah i'm not unfortunately i'm not wearing bernie uh, sanders mitten the only person that is wearing his mittens is him it turns out because they won't make any more well, having watched that um, preview for the Beatles Get Back mm. movie over Christmas, it, it got both you and I thinking mm. about Beatles movies all over again. And then by magic, on Monday night uh, of this week, the BBC showed A Hard Day's Night. They did. Albeit tucked away on BBC Four at 10 o'clock at night. But what a joy from start to finish. I was just old enough to see it at the cinema oh, wow. when it was released. My father, who was a huge Beatles fan, took me to see it for my ninth birthday. And I'm not sure I've ever been more excited in my life since. Mm. Um, of course, the thing, it was shot in black and white. We know that. And yet mm. it feels so colourful. It's very strange. It feels... 
It was very much the early days of Beatlemania. They'd only mm. had three number one singles, and it was far from clear at the time that this wasn't just a passing fad. But Jules, you were you were decades away from being born in 1964. <laughs> what impact does a hard day's night have on on you nearly 60 years after its release? Well, I think that you're you're really right to point out the fact that even though it's in black and white, it feels so immediate, doesn't mm-hmm. it? And it's and presumably it's been restored over the years. But watching it on on sort of a large TV, it I was surprised at how sharp the the definition was. I really felt like they were sort of I was in the room with them. I thought it was it was really beautifully restored or just very well shot in the first place. I suspect both is true. I first saw it. I I was brought up as a Beatles obsessive. One of the first tapes I had was a, a copy. Sorry, I know home piracy is wrong. Mm. A a copy of uh, Beatles Greatest Hits 67 to 70, which oh. I never knew was the blue album. I knew it as the orange and black album because I had it on a TDK tape. But anyway, I that was my first my first kind of thing. And I just I loved them. I loved them from the minute I heard them. I had all the tapes. And then I'd never actually. I think I saw Yellow Submarine when I was about 12 or 13 because again it was on Channel Four at something like two o'clock in the morning it was i think just before Beatlemania kind of erupted again in the mid 90s so so it was kind of tucked away and i remember getting my dad to tape it and um and when I reached it from college, I met, you know, made new friends and I met someone who was obsessed with the Beatles as I was. And her family had all of the films on VHS. And I remember watching A Hard Day's Night with her and she she must have seen it. But I think the two of us watching it together was it was just lovely to experience that kind of excitement with someone else. And it was lovely to see it again mm. because it just is so exciting, isn't it? And as you say, it really captures that kind of early sort of promise of, of what they were and the Beatlemania and it is so entertaining in that it's it, it's it was really ahead of its time that it kind of invented the mockumentary didn't it because it, it's, it's yeah. based on it's based on something it's got true people in it but it's a sort of fictionalized maybe they invented structured reality I don't know <laughs> but anyway it's this I, I just the the energy of it is brilliant and the fact of the matter is is that they're all very natural comedians they're all really funny it's it's you know john lennon is just hilarious and it's it's you know it's it had an impact on me in that it, you know it it made anything at the moment because life is so sort of negative or difficult for lots of people in general anything that reminds me of the art of the possible i love so it's lovely to see this because it felt it felt like good times were ahead rather than behind if you see what i mean it was it was it's you know it's it's just great although so it came out 20 years before i was born and that's where it's it's different for me in that you know I I can kind of buy into it. I for me that bloke genuine shake could have genuinely been their road manager. You know I wouldn't have known any different because I didn't know who of any of these course. actors were. So you know to me maybe that's that's why I felt as a there was always a little bit of me that thought it might be true as a young person just because I I didn't know that they were played by actors and know those actors well. I think I might have known Victor Spinetti I think as well as the director who is or who's more obviously acting I think than everybody else. But um but yeah it's I. I, I love it. I think it's it's so energetic. And I, I recently treated myself to a, a box set of all of the Beatles' 23 singles, including a reissued uh, Free as a Bird, a Real Love double mm. A side, 
reproduced faithfully with the European singles art. So some of them are Hola Adios is one of the singles because <laughs> it's in Spanish yeah. on the front. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, and, it, and it's just you know for me the Beatles are a huge comfort at this time because they're just they go beyond music for me and I just love the good the good nature in them even when things are rubbish they still managed to find some good nature from somewhere so uh, so no it was a a very uplifting film just because it's it's fun and it's silly and it doesn't take itself too seriously and and the music is fantastic and they i even like the funny little jazz arrangements of things they had as well in between mm. where they try to sort of put the show on it was it was a joy to watch and if anybody has any interest in the beatles particularly if you'd not seen it for ages i'd recommend watching it because it really cheered me up it was great it's funny you said about, uh, you know, thinking it was real when you were little, because mm. that's exactly was my experience when I was mm-hmm. just turned nine in the cinema. I genuinely thought this was, you know, just shot footage of it where I yeah, didn't realise it wasn't, you know, they were, they, everyone was acting. But it simply bursts, it effervesces, if you like, with mm. the charm and joy from the first five seconds. You get that dramatic opening chorus oh, of yes. the title song, and then George Harrison falling over in the opening street scene, and which they cleverly left in you know that was oh that wasn't really meant to happen. oh that's interesting yeah, the first five seconds they're running along the street uh, in Marylebone and Harrison falls over and they, they he picks himself up and they're all laughing you know like hysterically mm-hmm. uh, wasn't meant to happen remarkably really that it's remarkable that it, it was given um it was given a release date of July 1964 but they didn't even start filming until into March and wow. so it's a miracle that it was ready in time and that it's so good and well maybe that's what makes it so good maybe the so idea and maybe that, also that what just... made it feel like it was a documentary no. rather yeah, yeah they they didn't overthink it did they they just no. they it's just, and it feels very natural and unforced i think as a result it's just them it it, it shows how well it was written for them as well that it genuinely feels like them it feels whoever uh, the the screenwriter really got really got them and it just feels like like you say it feels so immediate that you know it it like how interesting that it did they didn't start shooting until march Mm. it almost was even though it was written that adds to the feeling that it's a kind of a snapshot portrait isn't it really one of those peculiar Beatle coincidences as well is that this was mm. obviously their first movie and it was shot at Twickenham Studios and as was much of Let It Be, their last movie, mm. and that both films sort of reach a climax, they end up with uh, live performances. So yes, it was sort of absolutely. Like almost- symmetry come my my favorite moment in hard mm. day's night is quite early on when they're in the guards van with wilford bramble and they break into i should have known better with yes. Pat Boyd looking on from the corridor it's just a couple of minutes Lovely. of kind of elation sheer happiness and you know I, I like you i recommend it as the, as the world could do with as much of that as possible at the moment absolutely i i think that's well said so and, and of course we, we've been enjoying the last three weeks watching music films as part of this podcast and they've all sort of cheered us up in different ways although i was walking with a friend yesterday and was explaining this and he said oh i hope they're not going to make you watch magical mystery tour so who knows oh, yes. <laughs> i don't know if that will come up or not but no a bit of a slog to watch but, that but the, but the interesting thing about if you compare it to this is it just goes to show that things need to be written and weirdly if even though it is a, you know even though the Beatles were spontaneous the thing that undid Magical Mystery Tour was the fact that they just didn't do any planning so they booked a coach and filled it through the people and drove out to the countryside and, and you can literally see them on screen kind of going oh what do we do now whereas 
although you know although this there, there is some level of spontaneity in this like you say with the falling over and the kind of the keeping stuff in it just goes to show that everything needs needs some element of structure to make it work doesn't it and they'd obviously moved on to the point in their careers where you know either they believed or people around them were telling them or possibly a mix of both that you know they were brilliant and they could do anything it's like no that you, you did need that writer it turned out <laughs> and also although there's only about two two and a half years between hard day's night and mm. magical mystery tour it's it, it's sounds like a very short time but there was also an, an enormous number of hallucinogenic um, substances taken yes in that didn't add to two. the cohesion no, did it really no. on the day we record this a hard day's night is available for free on the bbc iplayer for another 23 days mm. and it's also available on dvd at the usual uh, online retailers from a few quid on ebay i noticed to nearly mm. 30 quid on Amazon for Blu-ray and extra footage. Well, it it depends how snazzy you want to go, really, yes. doesn't it? But uh, but you have, if you've got 23 days to watch it, I personally would recommend 23 viewings. Why not? <laughs> exactly. Coming up next, uh, Golden Slumbers and I'm Only Sleeping, the, the world of power naps. I love what you've done there with, by weaving in Beatles references. The, you're, you're a star, Terence. You don't need a writer. <laughs> <laughs> That's right after, from the soundtrack of a hard day's night the beatles can buy me love
honestly, what a coincidence that we chose to play the Beatles, eh? Because of course we never mentioned them around these parts. Um, I I picked that. I was uh, Terence said it would would I pick a track from the film, and it was tempting to pick a hard day's night because of that sort of lovely crash at the beginning. But I picked Can't Buy Me Love because it just sums up the kind of freneticism of that film. It's used a couple of times to illustrate just chaos and people running about, and it's I love the solo in it. I love how kind of it just rattles along and then it stops. It's it's I just think it's brilliant. It's 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 so effervescent. That's a good word that you use, and it's it's just a lot of fun. I I love it. I could have picked many things from that album, but it was as far as the brio was concerned, I felt that summed it up the best. Uh, if you where, where uh, the can't buy me love sequence was filmed, where them coming down the fire escape and mucking about in a field, mm. you can still go and see that field, field if you live near London and if we weren't in lockdown. Um, well, quite yes. <laughs> Thornbury playing fields in Isworth, and I looked it up on Google Maps this week, and as I say, it's still there, it's still accessible, but the uh, little helicopter landing pad sadly is is no longer there where oh, they well, muck that, about that's, in that's circles. A, that's a pity. I'm surprised that isn't that the sort of thing that English heritage get hold of. <laughs> make a heritage site i'm surprised given that, given that john lennon's house is national trust or whatever yeah. it's some, something makes me sad that that helicopter pad has gone but anyway at least we'll always have the memories the hard day's night album 13 tracks whole album 30 minutes and 10 seconds well i mean they just pack them in don't they they don't muck yeah. around it's the same with please please me as well it's you know it, it's anything that you can fit on one side of a c90 tape or even in this case a c60 tape if you're if you're careful with sequencing you know that's the i remember travis saying on the radio years ago that is the test for a good album can you fit it on one side of a c40 of a c90 tape if you can't then i don't want to know <laughs> One of the greatest TV series of all time, Seinfeld, um, mm. episode 152 was called The Nap, and it mm. featured George Costanza getting his desk <laughs> modified at work so that he has a little bed with a shelf for an alarm clock built into his, into his desk. And it's all quite ingenious and works out really well until his boss hears the alarm clock ticking and thinking it's a bomb, calls in the bomb squad who take the <laughs> desk apart and poor George's little cubby hole crib is is gone for good. And this all came back to mind this week when it was reported in the press in the UK on Monday that Prime Minister Boris Johnson loves to schedule in, uh, George Costanza style, a little nap in his office at lunchtime and... I mean, given the fact that Johnson comes across as a sort of sleepy, idle kind of fellow, mm. this this was no great surprise. But so concerned were the press people mm. at number 10 that the very next day, uh, the newly appointed media spokeswoman, Allegra Stratton, mm. was putting out fierce rejoinders, you know, that, oh, the prime minister does not have a nap. These reports are untrue. Um, perhaps you know, protesting a bit too much. You're a very hard-working woman, Jules, um, but do you find time for a power nap after your lunch? Well, that is very nice of you to say, first of all. And secondly, I very much enjoyed this um, this story. Um, the, the quote to the person that told Times Radio, who presumably has since been a hit with a wet fish by Allegra Strachan or whatever it is they do to discipline people. I, I love the, the understatement of this quote. It would not be unti- entirely uncommon in the diary for him to shut the door and have a kit for half an hour or so. Basically, meaning it happens all the, all the effing time yeah. is my interpretation of that. I'm not a power napper. Oh, but really? funnily enough, years ago, and, and we're talking about 10 years ago, 
probably longer than that. I went on a course, uh, part of my training to be a solicitor. So yeah, we're, we're talking years ago now. And uh, I met a very nice chap who's gone on to be a partner of Furman Ashwood, who was lovely. And he he was he was absolutely brilliant at power naps it was the first person i'd met in real life i thought it was just one of those things that people write for books that businessmen buy in airports i didn't think it was a real life thing <laughs> and this chap who probably would have been in his mid-20s at the time mid to late 20s said oh he said something about power naps he said oh i'm really i'm he said i, I really they really mean a lot to me they're really helpful and i said but what what do you, you know how did you do it? and he said i just trained myself to be able to do it and he said um literally i'm i'm out for 15 minutes i can go to sleep pretty easily i fall asleep for 15 minutes and then my alarm goes off and then i i feel refreshed and he he, he was very clear that it had to be exactly 15 minutes and he trained himself to do this i can i can imagine if you if you have the kind of sort of sleep personality that can do that then then i can imagine it would be very refreshing i think it is very interesting like you say it's not necessarily the power nap itself although the original the prime minister napped all the time story was written in the daily mail and i you know part of me you know wants to you know part of me thinks you know what does it matter what he does during the day really as long as you know he is prime minister but i noted that it was written from the angle but all like his hero in winston churchill which did make <laughs> me roll my eyes a bit i must admit but but it, i think it's very telling like you say the rebuttal the reason there was a rebuttal is that instantly i mean it's obvious now that sort of the, the bloke that looked like a, a snooker ball and dominic cummings and all that gang of left <laughs> that you've now got people who know how to do press who care about how to do press you can under rather than us against the world understand the importance of how things look and optics and like you say the general one of the weak points of boris johnson well one many weak points in my view but anyway one of the Mm. one of the kind of even his supporters would say is that he comes across as lazy and also from a more serious perspective i think if people want to get him out which they will i suspect i'll be surprised if he was prime minister at the end of the year you heard it here first mystic juliet predicts but um (laughs) he he i i think that they they, if people wanted to get him out, what they would say is it's it's an excuse, I think, that was used by people that supported him and people that wanted to get him out. This idea that, that having had COVID might have had some sort of effect on his energy. Whereas mm. I know some people that know him from Mayor of London's days that say, no, he was always this lazy and disengaged. But um, but it's so it's very telling that that they've spotted the danger that it could feed into a narrative of him being lazy and possibly not quite up to it, if you see what I mean. Mm. So so it's so that's so it's telling that that someone that actually knows how to manage media the minute they heard that story brief, uh, they were all over it like a you know like a rash, weren't they? In terms of trying to trying to get rid of it. I mean, like you said, it doesn't it doesn't really sort of matter. It doesn't. It doesn't matter what people do during their day. But like you say, it is it is optics and perception, and and the idea that he is seen as being a bit sort of lazy and not committed, and you know just wants to loll about all the time. And releasing a story saying that he takes power naps is perhaps not helpful when it comes to uh, unless it is a genuine power nap. And, and I, you know, as I've said, I, I know people that say that power naps are a genuine thing. I have to say I do find myself like lots of people after I've had lunch, my energy level is kind of 
crash for a little bit I do actually have a sofa in my room that I work in at home and I have been known never to kip during the day but I do occasionally I call it the breakout area I do sit <laughs> from, on the sofa my own personal breakout area and have a cup of tea and text my friends and then I get back at the desk so even though it's a meter away I feel spiritually it is the breakout area I suppose technically the breakout room is my front room but um but yeah it's um I I, I think whatever I can see the value in them I can see you know different people work to different sort of circadian rhythms and all that sort of thing but yeah i can see why number 10 wanted that the, the sensible people in number 10 wanted to to, to quash it early on because it just fitted into a narrative that uh that that he was but well put it this way it it wasn't just that that made people think he's lazy is it there are kind of other things that have sort of that have sort of conspired to give that general impression i think it's curious how even in a more uh, i was gonna say a more woke <laughs> hey in a more woke enlightened era um it's still it's still seen by many as a, a as a show of weakness if you ever say you feel sleepy during the day as with allegra stratton speaking mm. for johnson do you know i'd be more reassured if he did have a little half hour snooze during the yes. day and i, I hope yeah. joe biden does too Absolutely. Um, you know wake up refreshed and ready to sign more executive orders in the afternoon in in joe's case right. and you know, it's why I always want prime ministers and, and senior people to have holidays as well. You know, against Absolutely. all, you know, it's always yeah. put out defensively. All oh, the prime ministers going for a long weekend to Tuscany. Good go. You know, you need exactly. you need to be refreshed. Although having said so, that, Boris Johnson seems to have a lot of weekends. Well, yes, I would remove him from the <laughs> equation. Yes, I mean, well, he is. He's the yeah. definition of an idle jack. I, it has to I, be I, abs- I absolutely think so. And I agree that with you that people have to be kind of, you know, sort of refreshed. I, I, the idea that Margaret Thatcher used to do these days on four hours sleep, I think there has to be, I think, I think you're right, there's something in this idea that we expect too much of some people. And personally, I don't find that there, there's this kind of, I think almost macho culture still around work. The idea that, you know, that, that you know, if you work this long hours culture, which actually is one of the things that the pandemic might do to sort of reverse a bit, I think. This, this move to flexible working might kind of dispel that a bit. But I'm not impressed by the fact that someone could run the country on four hours sleep. I find it deeply no. concerning because I don't think anyone yeah. can. Yeah, I, yeah. I think it's, I think if you lack sleep, you make very gung-ho decisions. So I'm not necessarily saying that people taking power naps is bad i very much agree with you and i think that we perhaps need to need to adjust our attitudes as to as to what works in terms of people working it's just unfortunate in boris johnson's case that it does feed into a general narrative doesn't it yeah i think some of it is probably an age thing in my in my teens and early 20s i could mm. easily stay up pretty much yeah, all night the and then go to yeah. work the next day but these oh, days yeah you know, when you get a bit older there's a little more satisfying than grabbing 30 mm. minutes or so for a snooze at about two o'clock in the afternoon it's a lovely feeling it's a very mm. warm engulfing sort of uh, time of the day i've i've long held the view that employers should take a more modern stance on snoozing and mm. provide little pods for employees yes. to grab just a 30 minute nap and of course at least it I, I suppose it would mean no one needs to do to emulate george costanza and sleep <laughs> under their <laughs> under their desk i uh, i found someone sleeping under their desk once i can't remember what where i was working i think we, we were on some long project and there people sleeping under their desk was not an unusual thing if i remember yeah. correctly it was kind of seen as a it was mind you that project was a bit like fighting a war if i remember correctly so it did feel like we were on a award for a war 
war footage and there were people sort of sleeping all over the show but um but yeah i am i all my friend of mine always compares me to george costanza and i used to be offended by that but actually there is much that's heroic about george i think coming up next we mean it man protest songs (laughs) through the ages uh that's right after no protest now todd rungren hey yesterday I just saw the one you left behind yesterday I could tell that he was waiting for you Sad but he can't deny There was nothing else he could do He was one of the many struck by it Waiting for you Finished before it started breakup with his then partner Bebe Buell. Todd Rundgren set up a studio just outside of Woodstock in New York, locked himself away and came up with one of his most accessible albums. It was released in May 1978, Mm. made the album charts in the UK and America from the uh, wonderfully titled album Hermit of Mink Hollow, Todd Rundgren and Hurting for You. Now, back in the 1960s, when Bob Dylan was first becoming known, he was always described as Bob Dylan, the protest singer. Mm. And 
Then we had Joan Baez and over here in the UK, uh, Bob Dylan Light, uh, Donovan. And um, Bob Dylan, of course, opened up his career. And while he still sang about different causes, he also uh, widened out his songwriting to encompass well, love songs and wider features of the world. Later in the 60s, we had John and Yoko with their daft bedding for peace in uh, luxurious Hilton hotels. And um, I, I can still remember uh, one of those Vox Pop stars uh, sets of interviews that programmes like Panorama and World in Action did in the 1960s, where Cliff Mitchell Moore was out on the street mm. in London with a huge microphone asking people, you know, what do you think about these new protest singers? And uh, a bunch of people would say things like, um, oh, you know, why don't they all get jobs and uh, bring back national service? Then they'll have something to <laughs> protest about, you know, that sort of thing. Yes. But the question is, how effective are pop stars? in achieving change from Dylan through John Lennon, Marvin Gaye, The Clash. Do protest songs change anything, Jules, or is it all just background noise? Well, I think the answer is probably in between, actually, which I know is the most boring thing ever. Apologies to everybody that's switching off right now. But I, I think I think it, I think there's two. I think we've gone through two periods of protest songs. I think in the 60s, they might have done, actually. I think they might have they might have chimed with a generation of young people. But I think I think in more recent years, they haven't they haven't made the weather or changed the weather but i think that they can sometimes be a good reflection of the times not necessarily changing the times but i think that protest songs can say a lot about the times we were in without necessarily changing them so the thing i don't think it's ever described as a protest song but for me the ultimate record that that reflected and chimed with the times so well is ghost town by the specials Oh, that right. is yeah, a protest yeah. song at its root. It is. It's not a protest song in the sense that it's telling people to smash the system, but it's sort of reflecting sad times that mm. that, that 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 they were in, and, and of course ended up, you know, being number one mostly because it was one of those moments where it reflected the Brixton riots in such a in such a sort of a, a, a unique way. I think that protest songs have become a vehicle for people to express dissatisfaction with the times. I'm not necessarily sure that they that they do anything to really change things. I think they've particularly become the preserve of the left in the last 10 or 20 mm. years. This article from The Independent talks about the Stop the War Coalition covering war by Edwin Starr and crediting it to Ugly Rumours, which was, of course, Tony Blair's uh, you know, university group. Mm. And, and it's and it also been increasingly used as a vehicle to protest against X Factor's domination of the charts, which I have some sympathy for, actually. The idea that, that you know, the cynicism of the X Factor, you know, automatically assuming that they would have the Christmas one every year. And this and, and this kind of manipulation of the charts, I kind of quite admire the counter manipulation by, you know, sort of protest groups and that sort of thing. I think that 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 in in recent years they've become a way of people expressing their protests. Although to return to a to a, a topic we've spoke, spoken about previously about the sort of the decline of the charts, it shows how easy the fact that it is so easy to manipulate charts now. You can have kind of you know campaigns and and get a record into the top ten just through you know sort of asking people to buy it. The fact they're so easy to manipulate shows sort of how they lack in relevance the charts compared to how they how they once did. But I mean I think that. 
I think that you know, in in you know stuff like Woodstock in the sixties and 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 you know like you say a Bob Dylan and Joan Byers. I, I think that that in the very beginning of that movement, I think it did have an impact. I think it did open the minds of young people. I think I think there was. I, I'm not sure there would have been the counterculture that there was in America without the music. Actually, I I do think they did have a have a have a, an effect once upon a time. Whereas now I think they're a they're a good vehicle for discontent. But whether or not they actually change attitudes, or you know, in the case of the kind of the left, the I mean, I think that the recent uh, coming over here single Asian, Asian Dub Foundation Stuart, and um, uh, I was going to say Stuart McConey. No, it wasn't. It was Stuart Lee. My apologies to uh, all concerned. But um, I um. You know, I thought it was great, but then I would, wouldn't I? Because, you know, I, I, I believe in, you know, I, I'm anti-Brexit, I'm pro-immigration managed, you know, I'm 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 pro those things, I'm pro freedom of movement. And I think that, that they kind of reflect the idea that the left is sort of talking to itself in that, yeah, they they sold a, exactly the same logic as Michael Foot and Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah, they packed out rooms with people that already agreed with them. You know, they, they appealed to the part of the public that were already of the same mind as them and that's the example of the protest song is it does it re particularly in the modern era it 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 reflects the feelings very well of people that already agree with its message what it does to persuade people that don't i don't know i think you make a really huge point that i uh, agree with there that it's pre- always is preaching to the converted largely um, well nowadays yeah, i think it, is. Yeah. it might not have been once upon a time but yeah. it is now i think yeah I mean, I mean as a young man i was greatly affected by uh, hmm. For example, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, Ohio, about the the, the death of the people by the National Guard uh, yeah, there. And, and that in itself is an impact, isn't it? The fact it that, is. You know, and... that it did have an impact on you, I think, yeah, and, and, and might have changed the attitudes that you might have otherwise taken to things. I think that, you know, that's not to be sniffed at, I don't think. Credence Clearwater, Revival's mm. Fortunate Son, Country Joe's Fixing to Die, which, you know, you referenced Woodstock, you know, it was yeah. one of the... Uh, pivotal points of Woodstock. I mean, I went, I went on marches against the Vietnam War and and so on. Mm. But it's hard to say that any of these songs genuinely had an effect in the in the wider world. I'm not sure. In fact, I remember mm. at the time you you want. I, I rather felt that. I was in a small club of people, almost all young people, um, and, and but you know one, one did feel in in a, a small minority, and mm. I, I would say that even those songs, um, those songs that have. Uh, had a bit of an impact at the time, like the Sex Pistols, God Save the Queen, or even actually even um, Dylan's The Times They Are Changing. They don't have any longer term impact on the way the world turns. But nonetheless, mm. he says, wriggling a little bit, I support all of them. <laughs> yeah. And I hope they continue because it feels like it's important to have a voice and to focus one's own feelings about injustices even if the impact of the song is less than what could be gained by a joined up political movement. And I absolutely agree with that. I think that's a really good point well made. And and it kind of moves on from my rather doleful conclusion. I think I'm glad that they exist like you. I think that that even if they just exist as an outlet rather than a weather maker, that's still really important. Absolutely. Now, thank you very much for Mm. listening this week. um, As always. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, Will you will you be featuring any protest songs on your radio show this week? <laughs> well, I play I do play a lot of Joni Mitchell and Neil Young and James Taylor and 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 you know I, I teach your children I rather like so Neil Young I think that was so uh, so it's Graham not Ash. 
Was it Graham Nash? Oh, okay, fair enough. I mean, I was going to say they they all sound the same to me, haha. But um, but yeah, it's uh, it's 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 not given that we visit Laurel Canyon quite often. It's not outside the realms. It's not as uh, 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 sats as you would suggest. Though I probably won't play God Save the Queen. I'm not <laughs> sure it. Uh, I'm not sure it fits the vibe of Smooth Sailor. Yeah. Though I was delighted to be able Rage to work against that. Rage the in, machine may not indeed. make it either. Yeah, that, I feel they might end up on the cutting room floor. Although I was delighted to work God Save the Queen, the Sex Pistols version, into my work quiz at christmas i was delighted to have been able to have to have uh, played 30 seconds of that as part of the quiz but um i yeah as i've alluded to i did this little show called smooth sailing on sunday evenings that is yacht rock classic pop easy listening moi you know that kind of smooth sounds at 7 till 9 p.m it's on my mixer channel which is m ixlr.com and then if you search my name Juliet Harris that's where the channel is you can listen to old shows on there on the show reel as well and it's just a calming way to spend a Sunday evening I think well if you're not presenting it it's a calming way to spend a Sunday <laughs> evening I think <laughs> uh, to play us out a woman with a very complicated life and backstory but what a voice Absolutely. I think that's a good summary. I, I, I'm planning not to focus on the backstory. I'm just focusing on this peach of a record, which I played actually last week. And it mm. felt very apt this week with the inauguration over in the States and the kind of, you know, the, the feeling of hope and that things might be, if not brilliant, then at least le- less bad for a while. And uh, and this was a song that was sang at B- by Beyonce, I think, at, at Obama's, uh, one of the Obama uh, events. It might have been his original inauguration or, or the ball or something. It was, she did a beautiful version version and it just kind of summed up the the way that the american elections work the fact that someone wins and then it's sort of months later that they actually take power i, I felt that that the sum that the song re- lyrics really sum this up the kind of the the relief and the joy actually that i knew that lots of people seem to experience in and the relief um i think it was relief was the overarching motion mm, for, uh, for a lot of people and uh, i thought this would be a nice choice partly because of the beyonce throwback and also just because i, I you know it, it it's a beautiful song like you say she had a beautiful voice out of jane and it's uh, it's it's just a joy this record so to reflect hopefully a bit of hope and, and relief and, and and a moment of calm in amongst the continuing storm this is Etta James and I, unfortunately I have a, an accent that is too English to make this sound good but uh, I call it at last at last my love has come Are over and life is like a song oh yeah yeah at last the skies above the blue was wrapped up in clover The night I looked at you I found a dream that I could speak to A dream that I can call my own I 
listening to a parish council production <laughs>